Hey, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. One of the clearest signs that we have become a selfish, individualistic culture is the way we talk about salvation. We talk about salvation almost purely in terms of my sins being forgiven, my dreams, my desires, my wants, my destiny. That has almost nothing to do with how the Bible talks about salvation. On today's show, we're going to look at a biblical understanding of salvation and how it has everything to do with the community of God. Stay tuned. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. Spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me. You are my only one, you're the only one worth living for. So I'm holding all my dreams with you. Oh, I'm dreams with you. You and I have been saved for community. Uh, There's probably no other concept in the Bible, no other concept in existence that has been more harmed by an individualistic society than the concept of salvation. And one of the reasons I wrote the book, uh, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, is to talk about this specific issue. And I'm really excited to talk about it today. Uh, If you just joined us, I'm so glad you're listening to the podcast. Uh, The last few shows, I've been going through each chapter of my new book. Uh, I did chapter seven last week, and we've been talking about the negative effects of community. Well, actually, not the negative effects of community, but of sin upon community. But we're turning the page here and getting into part two of the book and into the concept of what happens when God gets a hold of a community, when we are transformed by Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we are saved, what are we saved for? And in the American church, and I can only speak for the American church because I don't know the world as well, we have made Christianity and salvation into almost an exclusive individualistic pursuit. We talk about individualism first, and then we say, you know, if you get your individual life in order, then maybe uh, you should work on the community as well. We'll say, you know, you need to go to church, but even go to church because it'll help you in your individual growth. The Bible does not talk about salvation that way. So I want to get into some things that I think are very life-changing, things that could really radically change your perspective on your salvation on why we came to Christ, why Jesus Christ died for us, why we live for Christ, the big picture. And uh, when you talk about salvation, uh, what's one of the ways, like if you're going to bring someone to Christ, if you're going to tell the salvation story, uh, what is one of the scriptures or one of the people you talk about? Well, if you go to the Apostle Paul, the uh, obviously we talk about Jesus. Jesus is the right answer. That's the Sunday school answer, right? Jesus is the ultimate answer. But what is one of the illustrations that the Bible uses to help us understand what salvation is all about? Well, the Apostle Paul uses Abraham. The Apostle Paul talks about that we are saved by faith. You've heard this, right? 
you are saved by faith. And he goes back to, we're not saved by the law, we're not saved by works, and this is all true, right? Praise God. We're not saved by all the good things we do, by trying harder. We are saved by faith. And he uses the example of Abraham. Before the law was given, uh, we are saved by faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So both Jew and Gentile come into God's righteousness through faith. So if you ask people about Abraham's faith, if you ask them, uh, they'll say, uh, like you say, well, what did Abraham have faith in? And they'll say, well, Abraham had faith in God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. But I could almost bet you, if you asked people, what did Abraham have faith in? And they'll say, well, well, God, he had faith in God. Okay, but what was God saying to Abraham when he had faith in God? See, God came to Abraham and didn't just say, hey, believe in me. God came to Abram and later named him Abraham. He came to him and he made Abram or Abraham a promise. And that promise is very important for us to understand why we are saved. And many Christians don't even know the promise that God made to Abraham. It's pretty important because Jesus came to fulfill that promise that God made to Abraham. Now, here's uh, some accounts of when God came to Abraham and made that promise or renewed that promise. And let's just look at what God said to, to Abraham. So in Genesis 12, 2 through 3, God says this, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God came to Abraham, and he made a promise, I am going to make you into a great nation that will bless all the families of the earth. I am going to make you into a great people. It was more than even I'm going to give you a son, but I am going to make you into a people. I'm going to make you into a family that blesses the rest of the people on the face of the earth. So that is Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Well, let's look at Genesis 13, 14 through 17. Again, here is God coming to Abraham, uh, renewing, reestablishing, reconfirming the promises that he has made to Abraham. He says, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Now this promise is even bigger than the promised land, because if your offspring are going to be as much as the dust, as much as the stars, uh, that's not going to fit into the land of Israel. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to make a people that are so great and so powerful and so wonderful. I'm going to make a people through you that your offspring will be as great as the dust of the earth, the stars in the heavens. These are promises that are really too hard to even comprehend. Genesis 15, 5 through 6, we hear the promise again. And he brought him outside and said, God brought Abraham outside and said, Look towards the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. I want to read another one here, because this is pretty important. Uh, Jesus Christ came to fulfill these promises to Abraham. And many Christians don't even know what the promise is. They just know, well, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And they more believe it's just they believe that God would save him. And that's not what God does. God doesn't come to Abraham and say, I'm going to save you. God doesn't even come to Abraham and say, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you into this amazing people. I'm going to, I'm going to make you into a people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. And Abraham believed that promise. And because he believed that promise, it was credited to him as righteousness. So here's another verse. I'm, look, I'm actually reading uh, from chapter 8 in the book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And there's much more in the book here. But this is from Genesis 17, 4 through 8. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, father of multitudes. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So what is God's promise to Abraham? It's not that I'm going to make you righteous. Although he believing by faith the promise is credited to him as righteousness, God's promise to Abraham is not, I'm going to forgive your sins. There are promises of God wiping out our sins, and there are scriptures and prophetic utterances of how God is going to deliver us and forgive us of our sins. But God's promise to Abraham is that I'm going to make you into a great people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Why is this so important to understand? Jesus Christ came to forgive us of our sins. You bet that we were not in right relationship with God, that we were enemies of God, that all had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that not one is righteous. But there's a reason that we have been restored to God. There's a reason that Jesus died on the cross, and I'm not going to get into uh, the salvific work of the cross, uh, but I am going to get into this. There's a reason that you were saved, and it wasn't just so that your sins could be forgiven and so that you could go to heaven. You were saved so that this promise to Abraham could be fulfilled through you. What's the promise again? The promise that Abraham would become what? A great people, a great nation that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Why is this so important? Well, we've been talking about community in this little podcast. Salvation. If you understand salvation, you understand that one of the primary reasons you were brought out of darkness into light. One of the primary reasons your sins have been forgiven, that you were brought into restoration with God and into relationship with others, is so that you could be a people that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth, so that you could be a family, so that you could be a nation, so that you could be a body, so that you could be a church, so that you could be a community. A sign that we understand salvation is that we begin to act as the community of God. 
Salvation is being brought into a community for the purpose of being a community that blesses community. And yet so often we sell salvation as God wants to rescue you and your individual needs and your individual wants so that you can now be forgiven of your sins so that you can have what? The marriage you wanted and the kids you wanted and the job you wanted and the life you wanted. It's individual, individual, individual. That was not God's promise to Abraham. God's promise to Abraham is I'm going to make a people out of you. And when you gave your life to Christ, when you said yes to Jesus, you were saying yes to that promise to Abraham. You were saying, yes, I want to be a part of that people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. And in order to do that, I must be a part of the community of God. I can't do that in isolation. It's never just about me and then about the larger body. And in fact, if you look at this, uh, God does something with Abraham that's very similar to what he does with Adam. Remember Adam before Eve? Adam existed in solitude, in solitariness. He was just by himself, and, and it was not good for him to be alone. And so Adam went into a deep sleep, and God separated Adam in half. And when Adam woke up, he saw his other half before him, and he said, You are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, or bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Together we are one. And Adam suddenly realized that he needed community to be human. He needed the other to be one. And we've talked about that in, in other shows, and you can find that out in the book if you've missed that. But Adam woke up dependent upon the other in order to be human, in order to fulfill God's plan for the earth, in order to do what God had called him to do. He can't do it alone. He has the other. He has community. He's dependent upon the other. To be fully human is to be in community. So Adam wakes up from that deep sleep, and he sees that he needs someone else to be fully human, to fully participate in God's plan for humanity. Well, we see the same thing with Abraham. After Abraham receives these promises from God, you may know the story, but Abraham uh, is called to split these animals in half. And he, and this is kind of this weird story that I'm not going to go into too deeply, but he splits these animals in half, and, and he's supposed to walk between these pieces. Well, well, the reality is what happens is they used to do these contracts in, in Old Testament times where if you did a treaty with someone, you would each bring an animal and you'd split the animal in half and you'd walk between the pieces. And basically what you were saying is, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may you split me in half. It was like, you know, if, if I, uh, you know, this is the boundary for our land. If I go into your land or you go into my land, uh, you can basically split me in half. It's like a, a blood bond. And so they would do these contracts. They would split the, the animals in half and then they'd walk between the pieces and it was a way to do a contract. Well, Abraham started that contract by doing what God told him to do. He split these animals in half, but instead of walking between the pieces, he just fell into a deep sleep. And while he was in that deep sleep, you would get this firing, this fiery, smoky, uh, flaming pot that goes between the pieces. And that, that's God, God's glory. And so what you see is, is God walks between the pieces, and God fulfills both sides of the covenant. God is going to fulfill God's side, and God is going to fulfill man's side. I'm sorry to rush through this, but that's not the main point of today's podcast. But God is saying, Abraham, you know, you're, you're not going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. It's pointing to Jesus Christ that I'm going to fulfill the side of humans. Humans are going to fail this contract, so I'm going to die in your place. There's going to come a day when you're not going to do the right thing, and I will fulfill this covenant that you break. I will fulfill it. So God takes both sides. 
But while Abraham is asleep, again, just as Adam was asleep, Abraham goes into this deep sleep, and God tells him, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to bring your people into this promised land, but it's going to be after 400 years. Abraham wakes up. And, and again, this all happened while he was sleeping, so God must have told him this, that it happened, or he had a dream of it happening. But while he was dreaming, God told him, it's going to take 400 years for this promise I gave you to be fulfilled. Now, I don't think that encouraged Abraham. I, I think that probably discouraged him a little bit because that means he's going to live by faith and not see the main promise of what God has told him happen in his life or even in his kid's life or in his grandkid's life. But we, what we see in Abraham is the same thing that we see in Adam. Adam wakes up and he realizes, I have to depend upon Eve in order for God to fulfill his promises in my life. Well, Abraham wakes up and he realizes, I can't do this alone. I'm going to walk by faith, but I have to depend upon my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. I have to depend upon this community that God is actually birthing in me to continually faithfully walk out this promise, and I have to trust that God will also work through this community as well. Abraham has to live for something beyond his own life, beyond his own lifetime. Why do I bring this up? Well, well, both these images are so contrary to how we present salvation and spiritual life today. We have the image of Abraham living his life for something that won't happen until 400 years from now. And then we also have a picture of salvation, where salvation isn't about just getting my sins forgiven, but it's about putting me in right position with God so that I can be a part of God's family and be a part of the promise that God gave Abraham, which is to bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth, that I have been saved for community for the purpose of blessing community. And I've been saved for purposes that go far beyond my lifetime. The question I have is, would you live for such a promise? Will we live for something that's not about us? Promises that we never see fulfilled in our lifetime. Do we enter into salvation believing the reason God has saved us is for the community, for this bigger purpose than our little wants and needs and desires? I think of it this way. I was thinking about this with high-definition televisions. Uh, now, when I was a kid, my mom would say, don't get too close to the TV. Now, I'm going to give my age here a little bit. You'll know how old I am. I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. And mom would say, you know, don't get too close to the TV. And so what did I do, right? I'd get really close to the TV. I'd put my eyeball right against that TV. And I'd be able to see the pixels on the TV. And when I was a kid, there weren't that many pixels on the TV. So you could see the individual pixels on the TV. Now in the high definition age, there's many, many more pixels, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of pixels. I don't even know how many more pixels. By the time I finish this podcast, they will triple in the amounts of pixels there are. In fact, high definition TV is clearer than when you go on a mountain hike. But the reality is even the most high definition picture is still just individual pixels on a screen. Maybe you don't like the technological metaphor or example. Think about a painting, the most beautiful painting, your, your favorite painting. A painting isn't one painting. It is really a hundred or a thousand or a hundred thousand brushstrokes. 
it's little brush strokes on the canvas. And when you step back and you look at the painting, it makes a whole picture, but the whole picture is actually thousands of brush strokes, or the whole picture is thousands upon thousands of pixels. This is what is wrong with American Christianity. We spend so much of our time talking about the individual pixel or the individual brush stroke. We spend so much time talking about the life cycle of the pixel or the importance of the brush stroke. And we believe our faith and our future and our hope and everything rises and falls with that tiny little pixel and that tiny little brush stroke. The reality is, I don't think we remotely begin to see the fullness of what God is doing through time, through all of creation. That all of us are just one little part of the picture. That from an eternal perspective, when you look at life on earth, there will be one picture that was painted, and God will have used us to paint his masterpiece but we really won't understand what that masterpiece even looked like from our perspective. Now, there are some times when we think we do. Those revival times when we see people living in obedience and transformed obedience to the Lord, and it looks like more and more people are just following God and doing what God has called, God, you know, called them to do. And you, you see this where you can almost see a part of the picture, right? You can see God in our midst. You can see the hand of God moving as a hundred people or a thousand people or a hundred thousand people are moving in the same way for the same purposes to glorify and honor God. And at, that mo at those moments, you, you go, hey, I can see the picture. I can, this is what God is doing. And, and look at, I can see the face of God. And we all pray for those seasons and, and we hope that maybe we're entering a season like that. But the reality is there are other seasons when it seems like no one is following the Lord. And we choose to pursue God and to be faithful to the Lord. And we place ourselves on the canvas and we look around us and everything else seems chaotic as if no one else is surrendering obediently to the plans of God. And from that place, we just look like a nothing in the midst of nothing. Sadly, because we want to have meaning in our life, our purpose in our life, instead of thinking about the larger picture, the larger purpose, we say, you know what life is about? Life is just about the individual pixel. It's about, can I get my prayers answered? Can I get the right relationship? Can I have the right amount of kids? Can I have the right amount of income? Can I have the right amount of square footage for my house? If, if those things come into alignment, then God is good and it was right for me to follow him. But if those things don't come into alignment, well, I made a mistake. That is not how Abraham lived his life. Abraham believed God by faith that he would make him into a great nation that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. And God came to Abraham and said, you will not see this happen for 400 years. Yes, eventually Abraham gets a child, and you know how long that takes. But even there, the bigger promise, Abraham does not see. And yet Abraham, by faith, chooses to follow a promise that is bigger than his lifetime, 
that is bigger than his desires, that is bigger than his wants, something that must be carried out by a community. That's a question I have for some of you. Are you even working for plans that must be carried out by a community? And are they central to your life? Or is it first my plans, my wants, my desires, and then the community of God? See, I've had to repent of this, and I'd like to say it's just in the past, but as just an individual, I constantly think in individualistic terms. But often I've presented salvation in such individualistic terms, and I've done a great disservice to what salvation is really about. We are saved by faith, but our faith is more than just a generic faith in God. Our faith is this that God will make us into a people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross just to forgive me of my sins. Jesus Christ did not just go to the cross to restore me in right relationship with God. Jesus went to the cross, and this is just as important as the first two things I just mentioned. He went to the cross so that I could become a part of the family of God. This isn't just, oh yeah, we're part of the family of God. Isn't that something people used to say and it was all nice? They called each other brother and sister, and that's what people did in olden times, and what a silly thing. No, that is the promise of God to Abraham, that we would be made into a family. Christ died for our sins so that we could become a family, so that the dividing walls of hostility could be broken down between us and God and between one and another. And when we bring someone into right relationship with God, or when we share the story of salvation, we must, from the beginning, share this, that today you are not just restoring relationship between you and God, but you are entering into the promise that God gave Abraham. Your assignment is clear. You are a part of the family of God, and your purpose is to bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. It's not a secondary task. It's not something you do after you get your stuff together. It's something you do from the very beginning. Jesus Christ went to the cross so that we could be one, so that we could come together as a group expression of the body of Christ to bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. I want to ask you, when you think of your salvation, do you think of it in terms of individual upon individual upon individual? Is it just about my sins and my failings and my faults and my salvation and my eternal relationship with God? Or is it about something more? Is it biblical? Is it about what God said to Abraham when God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a people through you. I'm going to make a people that is as vast as the stars in the sky, as the sands on the earth, And these people, they're going to bless every single nation, every single family on the face of the earth. Now, God made that promise to Abraham, and Abraham believed it. And God credited it to Abraham as righteousness. But we know that sin stood between Abraham and God. And that Abraham and Israel and you and me, we all sinned. And we all fell far short to the glory of God. And because of that sin, it separated us from God, but it also kept us from fulfilling the promise that God gave 
Abraham. It kept us from being a blessing. It kept us from being a people that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Jesus went to the cross to restore right relationship between us and God so that we could become a people, so that we could become a family, and so that we could bless others. Community is not a secondary thing. It's not something you do once you get your individual life in order. It's a part of the gift of the cross. Jesus went to the cross so that the promise to Abraham could be fulfilled. Has it been fulfilled in you? Are you living an individualistic salvation? Are you living for the community of God? No condemnation here, just a question. Have you received the fullness of your salvation? A community-sized salvation. Because Jesus went to the cross for us. Not just you, for us. It's always us. Never just you, never just me, always us. I really appreciate you listening to this, and we're going to get deeper into things. We're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about evangelism. We're going to talk about the power of working together, how Jesus worked through community. He didn't even do things alone. And I'm hoping to radically maybe change some people's opinions and to stretch us beyond individualism to a biblical understanding of community, of salvation, of discipleship, of evangelism. There's much more to come. I'd love for you to get deeper into this. You can find much more information in my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can find out more information at my website, fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org. You can actually go to thecommunityofgod.org and you'll get there as well. You can also buy the book at Amazon. I'd love for you to read it. I'd love to get some feedback. Feel free to email me. I'd love to hear from you as well. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. And by the way, this theme song is by my brother, Dan Bursch. Give him some love. His songs are on iTunes. I'll see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. My dreams with you